born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. While we're right there, look in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1. You'll notice what he says here. In verse 1, he says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, all the saints. So that's why in a church we believe there's elders and there's deacons and there's all the saints. So in God's family, that's what we are. And the word is hagio, H-A-G-I-O. And, or S on the end of a hagias. But that word means to be made pure and holy and set apart. So because we have been made pure and holy and set apart, we are called saints. And we're saints now. And this is why here in the book of Acts, to begin with, when we find this word as a reference to the saints, we know that it follows through with the rest of Scripture there's a thing called, and you learn this in hermeneutics, the art of biblical interpretation, the first mention principle. And so one of the days we'll get into some of that. All right, go back there to the book of Acts in chapter 9. Look there in verse 36 where it says, This woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. Now, usually alms is what you give to the poor. Alms. You ever... Here where they had the, the poor folks and the alms, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And so you would give. She would do this and help meet the needs of the needy. But the good works, this goes, I believe, even deeper because it's a reference to where you see in the scriptures in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6. Where God says he is not unrighteous to forget your work of love and your labor and so forth. There's things that God wants us to do for him. And it says in the book of Titus in chapter 3 that we are to maintain good works for they are good and profitable unto men. So here when we talk about this, look in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter in chapter 2. 1 Peter in chapter 2. And look in verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. There's two verses here that you need to see. You do not do good works to get to heaven. But this lady, Dorcas, Tabitha, was known for her good works. But does her good works save her? No. No one is saved by their works. 
But because we are saved, we should maintain good works. And as he says here in verse 11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Now, if it was automatic, why would you have to have the scriptures admonishing us, challenging us, exhorting us to abstain if it was an automatic thing? You see, there's those who teach that you must make Christ the Lord and the master of your life. And so when you really get saved, if you're really saved, you're not going to want to go out here and do all these bad things. You're going to love the Lord and do right and go to church and study the Bible. You're going to automatically do all those things. Then what's this verse doing here? If it's automatic. Well, it's not automatic. And people don't always do what they should do. They don't always live abstaining from the flesh. Sometimes God's children who are saints in the Lord and been made pure and holy don't live like they're pure and holy. But in God's eyes, they are pure and holy because they're found in Christ. So when God looks at you and God looks at me, he sees the Son. He is my righteousness. He is my salvation. I have been found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, by my faith in what Christ did for me. Now look what he says here in verse 12. Having your conversation or your behavior honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by, and you ought to underline this, your good works, your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation. You know, when Jesus came the first time, it says in the book of Luke, chapter 19, it says that the temple would be destroyed because thou knewest not the day of thy visitation. When God came the first time to visit the earth. Isn't that something? God told us, hey, I'm coming from out of space. I'm coming to the earth. And here's how I'm going to come. It's going to be this great big glowing spaceship. And when I get off this spaceship, I'm going to have on this suit. So you'll recognize me. And I'll have antennas coming out of my head. No. He says, I'm coming, but I'm going to be born in a, a little manger. In Bethlehem, Ephrata. I'm going to be coming to this nation and this tribe and of this family at this time. And you'll know it's me. And they didn't recognize him. And that's why all the way through his life, is this the Son of God? Is this God in the flesh? And he was. But whenever he comes the next time, you may not know or think so that the people who see and watch you now, and even though they may ridicule and say all kinds of evil, when they see your good works, there's a day coming when they're going to realize they were wrong and you were right. So don't worry about what people say or don't say. You just know that as a child of God, I want to maintain good works for testimony's sake. But I want to please my Heavenly Father and do the things that God wants me to do. Now, this is why you and I are supposed to do all these wonderful good works and so forth. Look there in the book of Acts in chapter 24. Acts chapter 24. Acts 24 and look in verse 16, 24 and verse 16. 
You and I are commanded by Scripture to have a good conscience, a clear conscience. And so he says here in verse 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have, and you are on the line this, always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. Now, we may, by our life, what we say or do, be offensive to some people. But our conscience ought to be clear that we don't offend people just for the sake of offending, for the purpose to offend. But between me and God, and between you and God, and you and others, and me and others, we ought to try to live in such a way that our conscience is clear, that I tried my best to wrong no man or to sin against God. And if you do wrong a man, you own up to it and say, look, I was wrong, I apologize, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? So that your own conscience can be clear. See, God's interested not only in what you say and what you do, but your conscience. Did you know you're not to allow your conscience to be your guide unless your conscience has been trained by the truth of the Word of God? If you study the Word of God and put God's Word into your mind, it will convict you of the things that are wrong. And yes, then your conscience can help guide you because of right and wrong. But your mind has to be infiltrated with the truth of the Word of God so that you can make those kinds of judgments, those decisions, so that your mind is clear. And when you wrong somebody, you can talk to the Lord and you clean your conscience. This is 1 John 1, 9. And when he says that if we would confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, our conscience, from the guilt that we have. And if you don't do that, then guilt becomes a weight like a yoke of iron upon your neck until it destroys you. And a lot of people never, never learn from some of these things. Uh, Look in Colossians and chapter 4. Colossians and chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4, and look there in verse 5. Chapter 4 and verse 5. Where he makes this statement, walk in wisdom. Now you can't walk in wisdom if you don't have any. Remember the reason that God allows us to have troubles and trials as we learn from the book of James in chapter 1 that if any man lack wisdom, and you do, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, doesn't chide you, doesn't mock or make fun of you, but let him ask in faith. That means believing that God will give to you the knowledge, the wisdom that you need to get through those problems and so forth that you have. God says he always makes a way of escape. So as you learn wisdom, remember this, you can attain knowledge and never be wise. There's a lot of smart aleck people, know a lot of knowledge, but they're not wise. If you have been through the Bible a hundred times, and yet you don't serve the Lord, you're not wise. You may have knowledge, but you're not wise. A wise man does what he's supposed to do. Not just say, well, I know the Bible. That doesn't make you wise. You're wise if you obey the Bible. You're not wise because you know you're supposed to be a soul winner. You're wise if you become a soul winner. He that winneth souls is what? He that knoweth how to win souls is wise. 
No, it doesn't say that. Just because you know it. It doesn't matter if you can quote the whole Bible. You're not wise. You see, wisdom is taking knowledge and applying it to experiences in life. And so he talks about you and I, these good works that we're supposed to do, walk in wisdom. Toward them, get this, that are without. Sometimes we think our testimony is supposed to be above reproach only to the believer. No. To those that are lost. It's not just the message that you have and what you say, because the lost also watches how you live. And when you don't think so and don't think it's important, then your testimony is not going to be up to par. And it's going to cost you down the road because people are going to consider you. They might think you're a hypocrite because you say this, but you live this way. So are people watching to see how you live, to see your good work? And when it talks about Dorcas, it's talking about they saw her good works and what she did. And that's why that is so important. Uh, look in First Thessalonians in chapter 4. First Thessalonians, we're right here, pretty close. First Thessalonians in chapter 4. In chapter 4, look there in verse 12. As a child of God, because it's talking about them that are without those that are on the outside of the faith. Sometimes we don't think, well, it's not important. They're not a child of God, so it doesn't matter how I treat them. I'm afraid it does. He says in verse 12, that ye may walk honestly toward them that are without, and that ye may have kept or lack of nothing. Do you know some of God's blessings upon you is how you treat the lost man? The Bible says that Jesus, in the book of Acts in chapter 10, everywhere Jesus went, he went about doing good. Will you be nice and kind to people even if you can't give them the gospel? Well, I'll only be nice to them if I can give them the gospel. Well, what if you can't give them the gospel? Are you still supposed to be nice to people? Still supposed to be honest? Still supposed to walk as a, a wise man because people are going to judge you? And you say, well, they ought not do that. In other words, you don't judge a book by the cover. Well, doggy, clothes don't make a man. But they're 90% of what you see of him. So, look at one more. 1 Timothy in chapter 3. 1 Timothy in chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, look there in verse 7. Verse 7. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without so it's not just in front of those that are believers, but also those that are not believers. Now, go back there to the book of Acts in chapter 9. So we know that this woman was full of good works and alms deed, which she did. Came to pass in those days, in verse 37, that she was sick. And lo and behold, she died. Whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber and Forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Now, whether or not this was a precursor to some men who was going to come to see him in chapter 10, and he went, and God had to do a wonderful work in Peter's life. Because, see, Peter was still a Jew. He had a lot of ways that he had to deal with. And this preaching the gospel to people that were not Jews was not Peter's thing. You see, 
He really didn't care whether or not they were saved or lost. Now, he liked the Jews, and he became a preacher to the Jews. Paul became a preacher to the Gentiles. Maybe the Lord knew what he was doing here. But look what he says here. And it says in verse 39, Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. So this must have been her livelihood of what she did. She made things, and whether it was just for the poor or not, we don't know. It just goes by what we do have. But it doesn't say why they sent for Peter. Because, see, up to this point, they had been raising the dead. They've done a lot of healing and miracles, but raising the dead? But remember, Peter was there the day that the, um, the little girl was raised from the dead. And when she was raised from the dead, and Jesus had told everybody to get out of the room. And then whenever she was raised from the dead and presented her, he had told him, says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn. But the thing was, she, she was dead, but he brought her back to life. Now here it is, and maybe Peter remembered but he says that he put them out. Well, let's just read it and see what he says here. See there in verse 39. Then Peter arose and went with them, and when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. All the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth, which I believe is a reference. He put them out of the room. And kneeled down, and he prayed. And turning him to the body, says Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, isn't it amazing that they did it the very moment? What you'll notice up there in verse 34, when it says, And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed. And he arose in a few days, immediately. There's times when we pray that God will heal a person and so on. And we know that sometimes it takes a process. And that God can use doctors and use medicine. And we're thankful for that. But we know behind everything that anybody else does, God has put certain things within the body to heal itself. Doctors don't heal. They only put things together where the body can heal itself. There's things that God has put within the body that can heal the body. Do you ever hear that mind is over matter? And if you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Mind over matter. Here I am. I am a spirit living in a body. I've never seen me. I've seen my body. But did you know that which controls this body, you haven't seen? And I can say to my hand, put it there. Put it there. Put it there. I can decide I'm going to walk or I'm going to talk. And yet that which controls this body, you cannot see. 
I have a spirit living inside of a body. I have a mind up here that works through all these little connections and so forth, and I can control this body. And sometimes whenever, you know, the body doesn't always work together because one little speck can get into your bloodstream and go up into those little bitty capillaries in your brain, and all of a sudden you can have a stroke. And the spirit of man, regardless of how strong he may be and how desirous he may want to be of life, he may not be able to undo what's been done because he can't control the body. I believe that there's limitations on doctors and there's limitations on medicine, but I am for the limit of their limitations, especially if it comes to me. And I always pray to the Lord, what they can't do, Lord, I want you to do. I know that he is the great physician and that he can heal. And he can accomplish his purpose and his will. Sometimes God may have a, a higher purpose in allowing you to suffer and not answering all of your prayers when you expect him to. God may have something else in mind. Did you know that this person up here was already a saint? And as it says right there, was sick of the palsy but already the same. But she still got sick, and she died. And that God may intervene and do some little miracle beyond what you and I can do. Some things you and I cannot stop from happening, and we can't make some other things happen because we will it. There's a power that we cannot attain. God can do all things. He is not limited. So I don't know what all God will do, and I don't know what all He won't do. But I know that God has a reason why He does what He does, and will always be for His honor and for His glory. I do believe that God will do more for you if you will praise Him more and thank Him more. Because in studying the Scriptures, I find that this is what God wants more than anything else, is your praise. You're giving him honor. He wants you to love him in spite of whether or not he heals you or he doesn't. Whether you need a job, you don't get a job. Need money, you don't get money. You can still praise the Lord. God wants that more than anything else. Now, look back here. He says in verse 40, but Peter put them all forth, kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints, that means that they were not in there to call the saints, the believers, and the widows, and presented her alive. When he's talking about here, he presented her to them. Wouldn't that have been an exciting moment? She's dead. The door opens up. I now give to you, la, 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 the power of the moment. Because I don't know that they expected Peter to raise her from the dead. That's nowhere discussed or why they would believe it. Or maybe they just wanted a, a godly man to come. Maybe they needed some comfort. Whatever the reasons was, we don't know because it's not mentioned here. But we know this. That God has a reason why he does what he does. You see, God could have let that 
lady, just stay dead. The person that had the problem with being sick of the palsy, he could have, after eight years, he could have just let that alone. But God had a reason. A whole town was reached because of that. And down here, it says in verse 42, And it was known throughout all Joppa. Many believed in the Lord. That's what the Lord's after. So whatever it is that God may bring into your life, or what He will do, or what He won't do, it might be because God wants to use you in some miraculous way that you can't see right now. Maybe there's somebody you need to talk to. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't sleep, there might be somebody God wants you to pray for. Just do it. Just start trying to figure out something spiritual from it. Don't always look at things as though God's against me. God got it in for me today. You know, like God got up on the wrong side of the bed and he looked over the bed and says, I'm going to get you, Peter. I'm going to get you today, buddy. I'm going to get you. You deserve to be gotten. God is a good God. You are supposed to believe, I am supposed to believe, that our Heavenly Father still loves us and wants the best for us. But do you believe that? We're supposed to believe that. What are you worried about? What are you fearful of? What miracle do you need? Do you need one? I know a miracle-working God, and He's not limited. You may not know how God's going to do something, but expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Look up here. This hand represents you and me, though, while it represents sin. We all have sin upon us, but God loves us. Now, He hates what we do wrong. And even if you trust Christ as Savior, He still hates what you do wrong. But He still loves you. If God can still love the sinner in spite of what He does... When you get saved, don't you think He still loves you? Even if you don't do what's right, He still loves you. He loves us with an everlasting love. And because of our sin, we have to pay for it. And that's eternal separation from God in a literal fire-burning hell. But God loves us and wants us to go to heaven and to have the free gift of eternal life. You and I cannot save ourselves, but He can save us. You see, God says you cannot earn your eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. It's not by good works. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he does love us. He hates what we do wrong because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. He took all the sin, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead, and said if you and I would believe that he did it for us, he would put this payment to our account, and we get to go to heaven on what he did for us. No tricks to it. No gimmicks. Best news in all the world. Let's pray, shall we? With head bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, or if you're watching by Internet, the same applies to you. You cannot save yourself, but if you trust Christ as your Savior, believing He paid for all of your sins. You see, when you believe He paid for all your sins, it means He puts that payment He made to your account. It means that you don't have to go to hell and pay for your sins. That's why he paid for your sins, so that you don't have to pay for them. It means that since I believe he did it for me, he'll never cast me out, never lose me, and I don't have to pay for one sin, not a one. God loves me that much. He loves you that much. And if you have trusted Christ as your Savior, you're God's child. 
As you read these things in the book of Acts, they're supposed to encourage us to build up our faith. And yes, as a child of God, yes, we should maintain good works. We should have these good works that men may see the light and understand and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. We're thankful for your word that you've given us for the time together tonight. And we ask your blessings upon each one. We thank you for this time together. Bless us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would take my place. Telling someone how to go to heaven is the greatest thing we can do in this life. To prepare you, Pastor Yankee Arnold is offering you his book, Gospel Driven Man, absolutely free. Gospel Driven Man explains in simple steps how to successfully share the gospel. To get your free copy of Gospel Driven Man, write to Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Or email Yankee Arnold at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.